0: Hello and a big warm welcome to the Class Psych podcast. I'm Kate and I'm joined by our co-host Clara Bella and we're both part of the Class Psych Collective, a space where we discuss the impact and experience of class within clinical psychology. On today's episode, we'll be chatting with Danielle Campbell about her experiences being working class and her journey into clinical psychology. So sit back, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy this episode of the Class Clinsight Podcast. Hi everyone, and a big welcome to the Class Clin Psych Podcast. My name is Kate Bushby Jones, and I'm currently working as an assistant psychologist.
1: And I'm Clara Bella Grey, Clinical Psychologist, and today we are having a conversation with Daniel Campbell, who is a trainee clinical psychologist at the University of Glasgow. So a big warm welcome to you, Danielle, and thanks so much for giving us the time to have the conversation today. No bother at all. Thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) I'm just thinking (laughs) like in the life of being a trainee, I think giving up your time on a weekend to do this is all credit to you. And it will be really kind of great to hear a little bit more about kind of training and kind of various other aspects as part of speaking today
2: yeah that's great and um, and again i'm really i'm in first year so i'm going into second year of the course i'll probably have a bit more time than a lot of people tons of change. <laughs> as the course progresses i'm sure i'll be a bit more stressed and i'll have a bit more to do but um no
1: i'm really glad <laughs> i've made the time to come along and thanks again for inviting me on brilliant well i guess where we tend to start the the conversations that we're doing on the podcast is to start from the beginning, really. Um, So it'd be really interesting if you're happy to share with us a little bit about who you are and kind of where you come from in terms of, you know, your childhood and, you know, being from a working class background and maybe how that's kind of shaped kind of personal and professional identity. Yeah, happy to talk about that. Um, I think for me,
2: being working class is really integral to who I am, um, and I'm actually very proud to be working class. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from an area in Glasgow, that's very deprived. Um, I'm from Parkhead, which is the east end of Glasgow. There, growing up, there there was a lot of kind of social determinants. There was a lot of kind of violence. There was a lot of crime, um, substance misuse, as well as something that that was quite common in the area that I'm from and also within my own family and
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: so I think for me do you know from from very young being working class the focus is earning money you, mm. you're very limited probably in your aspirations in a way because both of my parents are in kind of semi-skilled jobs and um, my mum was a kind of homemaker and then she went to college and retrained and became a um, a health and fitness instructor, which as a family we were really very proud of. Um, yeah, going yeah. to kind of college as a as a mature student, and my dad was a joiner um, by trade. As kind of time progressed, our circumstances changed slightly, and he was able to buy properties. Kind of do them up very kind of, very um, gruff man, very stoic. Um, <laughs> you
0: know, if, um, if, you
2: were, if you were to draw a character to her of a kind um, of a idyllic Scottish kind of working class family in Glasgow, yeah. it probably did kind of tick a lot of boxes. Um, both good and bad. Obviously unhealthy kind of behaviours mm-hmm. as well. There was again heavy smoking, drug use, domestic yeah. violence at some points. Um, yeah. But Again, within that area, this is all seen as very common. It's all mm. seen as kind of, you know, this is what happens behind closed doors. A lot of people will go to the pub after they finish their shift. Um, yeah. you go to a football game on a Sunday. Do you know, that's just the way yeah. the way everything was. For me, it was very limiting, actually, my problem, my kind of upbringing. Um mm. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to contribute to the household quite quickly. Um, And I think as soon as I was able to, I I was able to kind of get get kind of little jobs kind of manual jobs and shops and um, I managed to get a call center job when I was mm-hmm. 16 that was my first ever job um, and actually at that time that was a big deal um, because that was quite white collar actually you know like yeah. work, working in a yeah. kind of call center and making sales and um, that kind of blew my, my family's mind that I was able to do <laughs> that I had the confidence and the, the articulate nature I don't think education was really valued to be honest growing up and um, mm-hmm. so I, I did go to school I was able to get some qualifications but it really wasn't anything that was expected of me it was mm-hmm. a, that's amazing that you've managed to get standard grades that's great you know it's fantastic and then that was it no no one in my family went to university I, I'm kind of first generation which again has helped shape me in a way because for me that broke the mold and um, mm-hmm. Within that kind of area, all my peers were going into crime. They were getting kind of manual jobs. They were starting families quite young. And mm. um, teen kind of pre- pregnancy was really prevalent. My sister got pregnant at 18 um, mm. and had my niece. So, that, seeing all that around me kind of sparked a bit of a passion and community work and okay. um, I was kind of looking at the the youth workers looking at the people on the streets trying to kind of talk to us you know we were mm. all hanging about um and there was a lot of kind of again youth violence um, and anti-social behavior around about me so that really sparked something in me quite early on. Of- Can I ask you a bit about that
1: Daniel? because yeah. so, it's so interesting um what do you What do you think kind of made the difference from you on that more individual level as in like you're saying you know these these are the very real experiences of people that you were growing up with in terms of crime and some of the you know substance misuse and those those things Mm -hmm. what do you think kind of made the difference in terms of your own experience around then moving towards kind of community focus and, and kind of what you subsequently have had pursued I wondered if you had a take on that yourself as to your individual trajectory within that
2: yeah I think for me I didn't
1: like to be I didn't like to be
2: kind of put in a box and feel like an underdog um I think a lot of my life and a lot of my journey thus far that I've obviously get into as we progress in the podcast mm. has been about kind of breaking down barriers and Statistically, I shouldn't be doing well. Do you know if you look at if you look at adverse childhood experiences, ACEs? Do you know? Yeah. If you if you look at the the kind of area deprivation and all the all the social inequalities around that, I really shouldn't be on the track I'm on. And I think from a very young age, I did want to break the generational trauma. I really mm. did want to. I wanted to find my power and use my my kind of voice mm. for other for other people. Um. So for me from a very young age i think i'm quite fortunate to be intelligent even as someone that wasn't really encouraged to go to school wasn't really you know education wasn't highly valued and um, looking at a kind of social identity theory kind of framework and um, because mm-hmm. obviously i'm a trainee and i need to think about these models <laughs> <laughs> So um, you're,
1: uh, you're very welcome to bring
2: all of this <laughs> So um, yeah, definitely there was a lot of othering. So people like mm. me, we got a job. Um, we worked, we weren't students, we didn't go to university. Um, that was very the others, Do you know, that was the, the other people. Um, that was people that that had money, that had a safety net, that had kind of privileges and social capital. I didn't know anyone that was a doctor apart from my GP that I've seen. Mm. Um, I didn't know anybody in healthcare. They seemed superhuman to me, to be honest, at that mm. point. Um, and even being a youth and community worker, which is an opportunity, I got at 18, I was able to be a modern apprentice. Um, for me that was a huge step that was a bit of a oh god you know maybe i am able to do that maybe i can be one of them i can be part of the system and they're not going to oppress me i'm not going to be marginalized i can actually use my voice and advocate for other people that don't have the same articulate being able to be articulate
0: or Mm. don't have the vocabulary that i might have i was just wondering um did you kind of have an idea at school of what you wanted to do or was it kind of, did you just fall into it?
2: I just fell into it, if I'm completely yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of, I bounced about a little bit, Um so, I, I was quite fortunate to get qualifications at school. I mean, they weren't great, but um, I did manage to get some qualifications. Mm. And at that point, I just kind of went right, I'll go to college and I'll do, I think it was um, communication and journalism. So, I was quite interested in the kind of journalism side. But again, hanging around the areas, the kind of street, basically hanging about the streets, um, I was seeing a lot of what we called young teams and that's basically territorialism right. it's a huge issue in Scotland and um, I think it's hopefully getting better now but at at that point and they're looking like at 2000s knife crime was at a, a kind of all-time high and um, so there was a lot of youth workers there was a lot of community workers round about and again for me looking at them I was thinking that's what I could be mm. like I could I could make a difference you know and that mm. was really empowering at that point for me like I thinking do you know what, I'll be able to to do something um, to help people and I don't need to go down that path. We've got options kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's how I kind of looked into different opportunities. A modern apprenticeship came up um, in the council for a, a kind of trainee youth worker. Um, and I'm going on now to tell you about my kind of long way <laughs> <laughs> No, I
1: just, I just think a couple of things really sort of stand out to me. And one was your, I think, really powerful opening to like, look, I'm really proud about coming from a working class background and so you should be. And and kind of hearing kind of what you've described there, you know, I think is, is hugely powerful. And kind of what you're saying about voice, you know, is also hugely powerful. And the fact that, I guess you're you know, sharing this by having this conversation today just feels really important as well in, in kind of both you having your voice and speaking of, of kind of what your experiences have, have been and how you've been shaped, but also those community experiences that all kind of often get spoken about by people outside of yes. those communities. And I think it's just so important that you've been you know, open to kind of telling us a bit about that today.
2: Oh, thank you. And I do think it's it's something that's been integral to me. It's also integral to who I want to be as a clinical psychologist. Mm. Um, mm. I think community approaches are so important and actually grass some grassroots kind of change in social movement and capacity building, you know, starting on for the from the ground up is yeah. ideology that I feel very passionate about. And yeah. that is because of my working class background. That's because yeah. I've seen it firsthand, I've lived through it. and mm-hmm. um, And I kind of know that if we want social change, if we want a culture shift, that's where it's going to start. It's going to start in people's living rooms or it's going to start down the the pub or in a park where kids are just kind of bored and
1: killing time. Absolutely. And, you you know, you've sort of given us a little bit of an insight already, but... I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about your route into clinical psychology after that kind of first post that you've described and kind of up to where you are now within being being a trainee? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so
2: I was a modern apprentice at the beginning um, in youth work and It's so funny because at that point in time, I had a fantastic mentor. Um, I was quite a vulnerable 18-year-old. I'd experienced homelessness and and various other Mm -hmm. difficulties by that point in my life. So I really did need that kind of nurturing. Um, At that point as well, this word kept coming up of. You're very academic. Why don't you go to university? Yeah. Never heard. I, I didn't know what academia was. Never heard that. Never heard the term academic actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, this was this kind of mentor, my my line manager, Joan, who really mm. was very influential to me. And so she put me through kind of SVQ, which are Scottish Vocational Qualifications, and, and it got to the point where I kind of climbed the ladder quite quickly. And, and I think again this and I'm, I'm going to attribute it to my working class background again, because mm. you have to work, you have, like, we have to graft, we don't have the social capital that a lot of other people are fortunate enough to have, mm-hmm. so I have to prove myself, and I've still got that mentality today of, I need to be perfect, I need to go in, I need to show people that I am just as good as them, and mm-hmm. kind of um, so I think probably I can attribute that to how quickly I read. I kind of um, I, I got promoted and I ended mm. up a team worker I ended up kind of overseeing quite a lot of projects one of the key projects that I was involved with was creating a peer a mental health peer support group wow. um, so that got adopted throughout South Lanarkshire within schools um, and again for me thinking about it going okay what can I do next What's going to have the biggest impact? How can I help the most people? And mm-hmm. it probably me being an ideology, you know, being a bit kind of naive and thinking, okay, I'm obviously good at something. I'm academic, apparently. apparently who knew? I'm quite clever, you know. Let's <laughs> go, <can I>? <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, I was I was asked to go and do a community education degree, um, and. I had my, my everything was mapped out for me and I found myself at a, a bit of a crossroads so I was like okay this is the track I'm on and I'm so fortunate to be on this track mm. a lot of people would love to be in this position but I also had that little niggle and that little growing self-belief of actually what if I could go further what if I could look into psychology yeah. um, I was getting a lot of training at the time from CAMS. and um, I was able to within my kind of peer support network that I'd created we were asked to do a lot of emotional literacy kind of group and emotion, emotional coping skills type work yeah and again that it was the first time and it was funny because it was um it was the psychologists around me that really started kind of inspiring me and planting the seed of this would be great. Imagine this was your job. Yeah. You know, imagine, imagine that. Um, I also started moan therapy at that point as well. Um, I've got complex post-traumatic stress disorder right, from kind of childhood adversities. So that for me was another bit of an eye-opening experience because my psychologist was just a normal person. They yeah. weren't a mystical person. Do you know th- mm. we had a really good therapeutic relationship and there was a lot of trust as well and respect within mm-hmm. that so for me that was again another time of oh gosh you know you are normal you are someone that I could be mm. do you know maybe maybe it's not such a crazy notion it's not a crazy idea and um, so I chose to you know go completely off the tracks disappoint all of my community <laughs> managers. Um, and I started the Open University and I had done a, a psychology degree with Open University, which was very challenging. I was yeah. um, I was literally working during the day. And by this point, I'd got to the stage of my community education um, career that I was kind of managing quite big projects. I was um, sitting on a lot of quite important boards. And um, there, there was a lot to juggle. I like was A lot of responsibility. Yes. And. Mm. Um, but again, for me, that that time in my life was was genuinely without being melodramatic. The first time that I actually had any self belief. Mm-hmm. of, oh gosh! Do you know I was getting my, my, my <laughs> I was getting my results back, and I was getting kind of 80 percent, and wow. it was just mm-hmm. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, do you know maybe this is attainable. That, yeah. I'm good at it. Why am I getting
1: A's? you know like I don't get A's. People that we don't get is. I... It sounded like you were really thriving alongside mm. holding such big responsibility, you know, which is a real, you know, real testament to you being able to juggle both of those things.
2: Yeah. It was definitely challenging and I really I think this has been a huge barrier as well. I can see I can see the pros and the cons to the situation. Mm. It's been fantastic. The Open University really did open up so many doors for me, um, both kind of my own personal development and my self belief, because it's all self-directed. Um, I would have kind of burst energy, and I would go through maybe two weeks worth of. Of coursework within an hour, do you know? I would literally have bursts of energy, but then I would have days at work where I was just drained, and I just didn't look at books. I just didn't want to crack anything open, you know? Mm. For for days on end. Um. So I think that flexibility was really integral to my success. Mm. If, I, if I um if i had to have went to a kind of brick university, mm. it probably I wouldn't have been as successful if I'm honest. Um. Mm. Because. I've just and again I think this is something that I still experience now I've three degrees now so I've got multiple university degree uh-huh. I've done my master's distance learning as well with the University of Ulster uh-huh. um, and I'm now doing my D I this is the first time I've actually physically went to university really? wow. um, yeah wow. so that's been a culture shock that is yeah um yes that is really kind of it's like a fish out of water honestly just, <laughs> really even just the setting for lectures.
1: Um, you said yes. We'd love to hear yeah, I'd love to hear yes. a bit more about what, what that fish out of water feeling has been like for you. I think I feel as though
2: everyone's got a manual. The, obviously with the, the kind of lack of the lack of having people in my life that were academic. Mm. People, people that had experience of higher education. And God love my, my wee mum went and done um went and done our our health and fitness mm. qualification at college. But again, health and fitness is very difficult, very different from something in mm. academic as psychology. Yes. Um, so even just writing essays is something that I've kind of had to learn myself. Um, I didn't really have anyone kinda showing me these things. Um, a lot of my a lot of my kind of distance learning has been really self directed. It's it's about going and finding out things. And really that tenacity and that, mm-hmm. okay, you should just, just kind of put your big girl pants on and get on with it mentality, probably is very working class. And it's probably yeah. instilled in me of nobody's going to give you any favours. We don't, don't really have a lot of kind of privileges and a lot of social capital, as some people do. Mm-hmm. So if you want something, you need to go out, you need to get it. Um, but even just the sitting in lectures has been quite difficult for me mm. um, because it's not something I've really had to do. I think the the contributing as well. Sometimes I get a bit self-conscious when I'm like contributing within discussions. Mm. Um, And I don't know if it's potentially my own imposter syndrome coming Mm -hmm. up. But I'll I'll think, oh, am I even putting this point across across clearly? Mm. One of the other things I noticed as well when I first started was a lot of my lectures were pre-recorded or they were... It was, like, kind of books and things that we would read. I've not heard a lot of really famous psychologists' names pronounced, right? I've been reading them for the past. (laughs) (laughs) So when when I'm trying to kind of talk about, like, I still can't even say his name, like, Bronfraim born from Brenner do you know I've never read really <laughs> so just silly as much as they sound like very silly things I think they do they do confound this yeah. kind of feeling of mm, maybe I don't belong here maybe mm. um do you know I'm I'm a bit of an imposter you know like I don't know how they've been crazy enough to give me this opportunity because clearly I'm not as good as my peers can mm. <laughs> like, mm. I, I can't even pronounce these fantastic theories
0: names you know <laughs> like, mm. I suppose I was wondering from like almost a personal point of view mm-hmm. um how like would you have any advice for anybody who's sort of aspiring to get onto a course or mm. even maybe starting a course in September or kind of I guess people that have come from a working class background if that makes sense? Yeah, or...
2: yeah no, it does definitely make sense. I think I think embracing all the facets of who you are mm. is the most and I would say I think that in in clinical psychology, without being derogatory, there does seem to be this golden kind of this is the perfect clinical psychologist. This is the kind of box that you should force yourself into. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Even if you're a, a kind of round peg in a square hole, it's just, and I think that that's something that really we as, we as a profession and we as working class uh-huh. academics, psychologists, clinical psychologists need to be challenging. Absolutely. Because I, th- I think for me, the things that make me so successful within my career and within my role are things that, are actually probably because of my working-class identity. It's because of the kind of personal adversities that I've, challenged, mm. I've experienced or it's because of my kind of community background, my community development. Even engaging with clients, um, we have service users days like, in every kind of block of teaching. So whether it be um, kind of psychosis or clinical health or more recently learning difficulties, we'll have service users coming in and speaking to us. I love that. That's the best part of the course for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But again, this is because I am comfortable speaking to people. Mm-hmm. I'm more, I, I am a marginalised group. Do you know why? Mm. I, I'm one of them, kind of thing. I am a service user. And I'm quite happy kind of conversing mm. and, and talking to people. And a lot of my other colleagues kind of struggled a little bit. Some of my cohort, you could see the, the discomfort there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Do, you, do you think you were able to include your? Identity in your application or in your interviews.
2: Yes, I did. I I spoke quite um a lot about it. So the year that I applied was the first year that they started enforcing, not enforcing, but they started um putting some weight into contextual factors. Mm-hmm. So my hires were were horrible. Yeah, uh, do you know, I barely scraped these at one point. Um, mm-hmm. I think I got an A. I got an A, a B, and two Ds. Do you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're really bad. So I, I felt as though I had to justify that because I'm, like yeah. you know, people people might have A stars and I'm I'm scraping, and it's funny because I actually went on to get a first and a, dist- um, and a distinction at my masters. Mm. But there's always that niggle of yes, but other people will have done fantastic at their hires. Mm-hmm. And you're always comparing yourself to other people, so I included it within that kind of contextual section that they've now given us, um, and I did explain that at that time, you know. I just wasn't encouraged to, I mean, I'm not blaming my parents, but I just, it wasn't valued. I wasn't encouraged to go to school and um, I had mental health issues. I was mm-hmm. homeless. There were so many factors, so many like different um, ends that just meant I wasn't able to be successful and I wasn't able to perform as well as I, I could. I think I also spoke about being first kind of generation to go to university. Mm-hmm much for me that is a huge thing and that kind of feeds my drive to do well yeah. I, I want to do well do you know I'm always chasing A's because for me as a well there's nothing stopping me now I can do it why won't why won't I just as mm-hmm.
1: much as you can kind <laughs> absolutely and I, I suppose it speaks a little bit to the question that Kate's already asked like I listening to you I just think your your story so i know it would be so inspirational to people listening to this and i think you've highlighted so many really relevant points around you know how important things like contextual factors are in in kind of that route in in into clinical psychology i was just sort of curious you mentioned there about kind of you were able to talk about kind of being from a sort of working class background in in the application yeah. and, and interviews and stuff do, do you feel that you were able to sort of talk about that lived experience as well and some of the things that you you've kind of mentioned there or the the other sort of question I had in my head too was you know given how limited the form is mm-hmm. for um for the declin, I, I also wondered whether you felt you were able to get across what sounds to be hugely valuable work experience because <laughs> I was thinking my gosh you know experience of setting up groups and running groups like that you know I, I just sort of I was just having that kind of as a curiosity in my mind whether you were able to get some of that kind of very specific kind of experience across
2: that's a really interesting question and I'm sorry if I go off track a little bit no, no, go it. It. <laughs> um, but I think see the at that time when I was writing the application I didn't really value that experience the same mm. way I probably should have. Because in my mind, I was thinking, that's not really clinical experience. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, that's mm. not an NHS setting. Um, so I probably didn't talk about it, actually, as much. Um, it wasn't until I was kind of meeting with my supervisor before my first placement that I said, oh, actually, I used to be a community learning and development worker. This is all the stuff I can do. And she was like, are you, are you joking? Yeah. Do you know, she's like, that's, do you know, quality quality improvement for me is very, it's very intrinsic to my old job. Um, It's funny because it's actually a third year kind of thing that we look at. But for me, it's something that I've been doing for the past 12 years. (laughs) Um, So it's funny. And I think this does relate back to, to what I was saying about we we need to embrace who we are and what we can offer, even if it doesn't fit the clinical psychology mold. Absolutely. Um, because in my mind, none of that was relevant. I didn't really talk about it, if I'm honest. Um, do you know community approaches? All of the kind of systemic working, which I'm learning mm. about now, that's all bread and butter to me. <laughs> do you know that's all? Yeah. The, I've been navigating systems and um, and, and kind of working with partners and capacity building for years you know without without actually understanding the true value of it and how it, it, it is to be a successful clinical psychologist um so it's funny because I think if I was going to go back in time I would probably approach my application very differently now mm-hmm. with the confidence and the value I see in it yeah now
1: kind of with time and it, mm-hmm. I'm so struck by the way that you've been able to sort of like highlight that in in talking through and I it's sort of we were just having a chat, weren't we, before we, we sort of pressed record on the podcast about the recent event that some of us from the Classical Insight group had done at, the, at South Bank Uni. And part of what we did there was to try and look at an existing um, kind of social capital model and how we could apply that to to the working class perspective and I think some of what you described there were things like linguistic capital, your ability to be able to kind of communicate and relate to clients because of, of kind of that shared experience and your kind of comfortability on sort of so many levels. I think you've you've done an amazing job in communicating kind of the value that coming from a working class background can have. And I know that we kind of try and ask of a couple of questions in the podcast around kind of barriers and strengths and I think you've done that right the way throughout the interview but I wonder if we just have a little bit of a think together given that I've been I don't know a bit in awe really as you've been talking Mm. throughout the interview how well you've been able to sort of like draw in some of the theories and some of the relevant kind of definitions around stuff kind of what would you kind of list as like one or, or, or a few specific barriers that you feel you've faced and then again kind of the more specific sort of strengths more in that kind of bullet bullet form sort of way of, of thinking together.
2: Yeah I think for, for me the perception um, and I think we we'd had this kind of conversation previously mm. having an open university degree I'm very proud of it I worked very hard it was a lot of it was self-directed and mm. um, But gosh, I don't know if you were in kind of Facebook groups and stuff when you were applying to be a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a bit of. Oh, did I say kind of snobbery about yeah, it? Or yeah. There is that kind of. Do you know some people went to a Russell Group? Some people. Do you, and it was actually kind of com- commented to me at at the early stage of my kind of career change. Of, do mm-hmm. you think that's going to be taken seriously? Do you think that's going to be helpful having an open university degree? It's maybe a bit of a of a kind of a perspective of is not as good. Do you know? It's yeah. not. It's yeah. not a. It's not a real degree. I know you get a first, but really, is is it easier? because it's open university and and it's never ever held me back so just to really put that across to whoever might be listening that wants to pursue clinical psychology you might feel as though the odds are stacked against you but actually I think again it's about looking at it from a different perspective the the open university opened so many doors for me Mm. never have been able to achieve a a degree anywhere because mm-hmm. I have to work I couldn't just oh, be a yeah. student and I think that's a luxury that a lot of working class people it's just not an option for us and um, mm. we're not we're not able to we have to kind of support ourselves well, you know? I
1: just I just think this you know that resonates so much with me and I think you're so right in terms of the shifting perspective about it because I went to you know, former polytechnic, mm-hmm. and I worked pay, paying for a mortgage while while studying, and I could only study a degree in that, you know, that time that had a sort of condensed timetable that I could do both. And when you were talking kind of right back at the start around, I guess, this level of sort of autonomy and that ability that you had to kind of navigate work and doing your degree and doing a degree that was distance learning, then doing a master's degree that was as well. The thing that I'm I'm not just saying this to sort of just try and make the point, but the thing that came up in my head was, you know, when you look at the sort of job descriptions and person specs for qualified roles, and it's Mm -hmm. always like must be able to kind of work autonomously. And and I just thought that's it's exactly that, isn't it? And that it's interesting what you're saying because I guess you've mentioned this experience academically under barriers and, and you know what you described there as a sort of snobbery around yes. where you study yeah. basically yet you know you're so right in what you're saying There's this is in perspective because the skills that you will have needed to study in that way to study alongside work and, and all of those things are so hugely beneficial yet they get that can get sort of lost or suppressed or we don't sort of speak about those things because of some of that more implicit kind of discrimination and prejudice that that kind of goes along.
2: No definitely and I'm really glad that you've brought that up because I think that was probably my next kind of barrier but also my next strength was again you know because there, there is this kind of narrative of you need clinical experience within the nhs you need to be an ap and um, that's mm. the kind of gold standard if you've got a hope and hell of getting on the clinical psychology i really internalized that message yeah and i and i actually gave up so i took a career break for a year and i gave up like kind of going in the trajectory i was on with my community education role um to take an ap post and i know right. i'm Do you know, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be an AP Mm. but it was a seven and a half thousand pound pay cut, you know? (laughs) Wow. um, and without you know, without it being a bit of a humble brag, it it wasn't as complex as (laughs) you thought I had, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean it wasn't it wasn't this kind of idyllic, oh gosh, this is gonna set me up and you know, help me be a clinical psychologist. It was very okay, is this it? Do you know what's this? Um, yeah. So th- this is the gold standard. This is what I should be aspiring to be. And actually, mm. I was doing probably a lot more mm. in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Um, without being derogatory, I was doing a lot more probably relevant work in my previous role, <laughs> do you know. Yeah. yeah. But, and I think this is a, an issue with clinical psychology and the, doc- um, the declin I applications. A lot of that's not valued the way it should be. Yeah. And um, if I was sitting in an interview, and I think actually I did kind of mention my CLD career to some extent. But again, I, I had that perception of, no, this isn't relevant. That's this not what they want to hear. They want to hear about me being a, an a, um, assistant psychologist, Kenneth. Kind of which is funny when I think about it now with, you know, the, the kind of benefit of hindsight and the confidence that
1: I've got now. And I can see Kate nodding as well. But yeah. like when I hear you talk, it sort of, it both brings up a, it, it both feels very validating to hear you talk because so much of that sort of resonates. But I also notice a sense of I don't know whether it's sadness or anger or what it is, but that somewhere along the way we do you know that square peg round hole thing and we start to morph don't we and and I know that sort of since having sort of doing the podcast and having these conversations it's reminded me that actually I became quite good at that actually becoming a sort of yeah the the goal is being generic (laughs) in some sort of way and actually I look back at that now and I think oh that's a shame because actually you know like like you're saying I, I did have all of this great experience mm-hmm. or skills that were unique and different and I you know it, it kind of really sort of undersold those and I actually think that that's still partly the case in even in post qualified life yeah. so I think it you yeah. know hearing you speak is just like I don't know I just feel like there's something so important in kind of what you're putting across here around actually how is it that we speak up how is it that we share how valuable and it takes us back to that question of of strengths doesn't it you know and how we're able to kind of really identify them and communicate them you know so i wonder you know for yourself what do you feel like the biggest strength has been kind of for you personally or from that working class uh, perspective in, in in let's say training or in your work so far
2: I think there's been a couple that I've noticed. um, The kind of tenacity, the, you know, just kind of pull up your socks and get on with it. Do you know Mm -hmm. that? (laughs) Do you know, you don't... You don't really have the luxury of, um, of kind of sitting there worrying about things. You just kind of get stuck in, yeah. and that's something is definitely a, a kind of quality of mine that's been prized within my teams, um, my kind of MDT colleagues, because I do just get stuck in. Do you know, I'll kind of I'll help out where needed, and obviously I understand my role in psychology. I understand that I am in my own lane, um, but I'm quite. I'm quite good at kind of helping out where needed and jumping mm. in, and, and again I do think that is testament to my upbringing and my working class background, um, that I'm quite happy to kind of muck in when needed. I think working with service users, um, doing outreach, devising groups, doing quality improvement, thing, mm. that all comes very naturally to me, um, because I've have, I've have real life experience of being that seldom heard group. Yeah. Um do you know? And I think that's something actually I'm very passionate about within my career thus far. And I've been part of the um, equality and diversity groups. Uh, Inclusion is something I'm very, very passionate about. Yeah. And I think that's a huge strength for me because of the marginalised groups that I've worked with I've worked with in the past, mm. both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. And, and also my identity of I'm just like you. I'm not this amazing superhuman. Um, you know, um, if I think about, if I think about a kind of fifteen-year-old me looking at doctors, looking at healthcare professionals, I don't want to be seen to be that that yeah. kind of unattainable superhuman person. So I think it's keeping me grounded. It's keeping me very focused on the the service users, the the kind of MDT, the bigger picture. I think grassroots approaches, mm-hmm. building building it from the from the kind of ground up. But also, yeah. I, I feel as though I also question the status quo quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think again, there's there's probably pros and cons to that, depending on who you ask. Um, but for me, you know, very much these kind of the the themes that we think about such as kind of um looking at ecosystems looking at kind of social determinants the impact of kind of health inequality these are
1: all things I think about naturally because I've lived through them yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and I I think you know in terms of just think genuinely so so helpful to, to sort of have you sort of talk today because i think you've done a great job of 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 defining strengths and i think people listening to this you know like kate you're talking about kind of the application and and things that we've kind of i think you've you've just given such helpful examples of what that looks like because i think if you're sort sort of sort of essentially living in a system that doesn't value some of those things or does have that more generic kind of model f- for kind of what we're meant to be like it can be really unclear from your own perspective as to what strengths you have and, and how to communicate them and I just I you know I just kind of want to say that I think you know I really hope this interview does get <laughs> shared and really listened to because I think it mm. will be kind of a, a great way for people to, um, to kind of be able to do a bit more of that and just to kind of upon before it kind of goes out of my head what you were saying about uh I guess a key strength which is that, that lived experience and all of the different kind of job roles that you've had as, as part of that as well um kind of means that I think you, you I can't remember the words you said but it's sort of something around it gives us a different perspective of how clinical sh- psychology should operate yes. let's say and it's so interesting you say that because from the Event that I mentioned before, at the South Bank Uni recently looking at social class and, and mental health. I think it's Bridget Ricketts from I think she's from Leeds Beckett. And apologies if I've got her name wrong here, but she kind of concluded with that main point when we'd raised that as part of the workshop around highlighting strengths. Her reflection was sort of exactly what you just said. Really, is that it really does give us that shift in perspective around actually you know I think there needs to be an inherent change in the way that clinical psychology services are are delivered and how we um recruit into the profession so that it reflects the people that that kind of use it and I just think you've done such an amazing job in highlighting hugely important points and maybe that kind of brings us on to to kind of the last question that we sort of tend to ask in in the podcast which is again you've, you've mentioned lots of it already but what do you think would be the one main thing, the one key thing that you would change within the profession? I think we need to go to where the needs
2: are quite mm. frankly just without without kind of um, without yeah without being completely idealistic because I know that there are logistics that need to be taken into account, there's safeguarding, there's kind mm. of risk assessments, I understand that, I know that but Why do we expect people? The the system is set up for people to have to keep knocking on the doors. The system's really hard to navigate for the average person. Mm. You know, um, I found the system, and I'm fortunate enough to be quite an intelligent person. um, I didn't know where to go for a referral. I went to the GP, and, you know, um, if I got a letter, my life was a bit chaotic, and I think that's quite normal you mm-hmm. know for a lot of people and um, it's quite unrealistic to expect people to opt in to come to the first appointment especially if they're working class yeah could you get time off at dropping the hat for mm-hmm. an appointment would you be confident enough to tell an employer listen I need to go and see a psychologist because there is still stigma stigma associated mm-hmm. with that so I think from a from a maybe silly naive idealistic kind of perspective My hope for clinical psychology is that we will be more accessible. Mm -hmm. We will go to where the needs are. We will go to where the clients are. We will maybe open later at night. We will... Be, there'll be a bit more flexibility, it won't be as rigid, it won't be as hard to navigate and it won't ostracise people and make it more difficult to engage mm-hmm. um, and I, there's a lot of great work that there's, that's being done right now with inclusion and equality um, and I think it's moving in that direction but that is certainly my hope for the future of clinical psychology is rather than coming into our clinic room, we'll be in the community working alongside people that need it, even mm-hmm. if it is just spreading awareness, challenging stigma, and doing a bit of, kind of capacity building, even if it's frontline workers, even yeah. if it's looking at community workers, teachers, people. It doesn't just need to be clinical psychology. Inner role shifting, mm-hmm. so there may be more of a consultancy supervision, helping develop services that are going to meet the needs within a kind of
1: grassroots level. I just want to say, like, like a real, genuine like heartfelt thanks for everything that you have shared today I think it's I think it's going to be so helpful for so many people listening to this and it's really shaped my thinking a little bit and kind of clarified my thinking on things as well so just wanted to say a huge thanks and um, yeah just know that your story will be really really inspirational and I think gives us a framework of what change within clinical psychology might look like and mm-hmm. how that would involve the working class perspective. So thank you, Danielle. You're very welcome. Thanks <laughs> for having me. And I think just even just the final point of that of this is a
2: great thing about having working class clinical psychologists. We we're in the system now. We are the man. We can change from <laughs> <on men's side. laughs> <You know, like, laughs> There needs to be more people like us that can kind of that can advocate for this kind of social social change that's needed. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, thanks Danielle. Thanks so much, guys, I do appreciate it. All right.
0: So that concludes our chat with Danielle. We're really grateful to Danielle for coming and speaking about her experiences. I think she did speak about some really important and relevant topics. Um, so, myself and Clarabella thought it might just be quite nice to reflect on some of those points
1: to round off Danielle's episode. I guess one thing that had really been in my mind is that we mentioned um, in Danielle's interview about some of the themes we'd already started to pick up from some well, Mm. across all of the interviews. Um, And like Kate's just mentioned, what we thought would be a nice way to sort of summarise the podcast is to kind of reflect both on the individual interview itself, but also across some of those themes as well. So Yeah handing over to you I I kind of wonder now that you've listened back to it I know some time has passed I mean I
0: Mm.
1: I loved that interview yeah I really really enjoyed speaking to Danielle and and feel like I learned a lot so yeah I'd be kind of interested to hear what you specified as, as kind of your reflections from it.
0: Yeah I agree it was a really great episode wasn't it I think Danielle did a really nice job of highlighting the aspects of herself that make her such an asset to the profession. I guess I'm feeling really aware that it's the end of January now. We actually did that interview back in summer when it was nice and warm. Um, But I guess, yeah, I'm aware that it's coming to that time of the year again. When some of us who are applying to the doctorate courses might be starting to hear back from applications, so some of the topics that we discussed in today's episode might be feeling extra relevant for some people who are listening at the moment. So I I was just thinking one thing that I really took away from Danielle's episode was um, when she said, "What makes her successful are the things that stem from her working class background." And I think, actually, this is something that a lot of us could really hold on to during what what can be a really, really difficult time of the year. Um,
1: yeah, what What do you think? One of the first things that I wrote down, I can just about read my scribbles, is that she says, I'm proud to be working class. Mm. And, yeah, I think she, she said that in a really genuine and authentic way. Um, and then you know without without being contrived about it the rest of her interview clearly kind of shows the value of that so yeah Mm. totally agree and glad that she kind of specifically said that as well what when I look back at kind of the other notes in terms of what my my take-homes were from her so like you know sort of matches some of what you've said already but just throughout I was really struck by her honesty and in terms of kind of my reflection around that was I've written her honesty is so refreshing and in capitals I put connecting because Mm. there was something around I feel like I got to know her a bit and she was able to communicate her views also like you say I think she did an amazing job of um bringing in theories and kind of relevant thinking around her experiences and the the profession more generally. But it reminded me of how that kind of honesty, that insight is so connecting that I'm sure in her clinical work, that that would mean that people are able to open up and share their experiences in a very different way. And I just felt that that it seems like a simple thing, to sort of say but actually it's hugely significant Mm, completely
0: she sort of created the safe space that you felt able to speak in and
1: that's so important isn't it and yeah
0: thinking about working with service users
1: and I guess that kind of I've already said it already but the other point that I put down was her ability to link her experiences to relevant psychological models and concepts but not in a contrived way so that's Mm. my kind of my key point and and given what you said at the start about it being interview well, going into a, a application yeah. and interview season and stuff that feels really important because I know that that's an important part of what we should be doing within this profession mm. but, but something around that still needing to come from an authentic place and I think that she did that in such a an organic, helpful way she did yeah that, that actually I felt like I learned a lot from her in the way that she was able to make those mm. links. so yeah, I guess we then hand back over to whoever is listening to this, both to Danielle's interview itself, but also I guess our reflections on it as well, and maybe invite people to take maybe one key thing away from that regarding maybe how it's resonated with them or kind of what they might take forward in their own clinical psychology experience but yeah just kind of ending with a a huge thank you to Danielle really
0: thank you for listening to the Class Clin Psych podcast please check out the description box where we will leave the Class insight group twitter and instagram handles so that you can keep up to date with everything we're currently doing please do get in contact with us if you've got any ideas for the podcast going forward or if you'd like to ask us any questions we'd really like to hear from you and details of how you can get in contact with us will be in our description box thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your day